Good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be continuing in our series, Glory and Grace. It's a series about the church for the church. So 1 Peter chapter 2. And before we read it, I just want to recap. Last week, Pastor Luke started us off by looking at the creation of gospel community. And he, and he did that from Ephesians chapter 2. And we saw that Christ is the creator of true gospel community. And we saw that through his work on the cross, he killed the hostility between Jew and Gentile. He broke down the dividing wall and he created one new man. And, and, and we also saw that we are now a community of believers who are built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. This is who we are right now. Christ has saved us and has made us into a community. And so we are a family. We are members of the same body. And so while, while Pastor Luke preached on Christ as the creator, as the cornerstone of gospel community, this morning we're, we're moving towards answering the question, what for? Why have we been saved into this community? What's the purpose? And so that's the, that's the question that we're going to be working through this morning out of 1 Peter chapter 2. Pastor Luke, he also talked about how we live in perhaps one of the most individualistic societies in the history of the world. Everything in our culture promotes individualism. And so it's hard for us to escape that pull towards this individualistic mindset when everything around, revolves around my time, my schedule, my money, my plans. And so, although we already are united to one another in Christ, through his work on the cross, it can be a real struggle to live that way at times. And, and, and as I was thinking about that concept this week, I was asking myself, how healthy would a marriage be if this is how we approach marriage? If, if you made every decision without considering your spouse, how healthy would your marriage be? I don't, I don't think it would be very healthy. Or, or if you thought that way about your kids, you made all these decisions without considering your children. As soon as you get married, as soon as you have a child, everything changes. You can no longer think individualistically. That's just the reality. As a, as a single guy with no kids, I get to make the call. So I can be sitting at home at 8.30 in the evening reading a book. I can get a, a phone call at 8.31 from a friend and be out the door at 8.32 to go spend some time with that person if I wanted. Probably wouldn't. I'd go to bed early, but I could if I wanted to. I challenge you married folks to try that and then let me know how that turns out. I would expect that that's not going to go over so well. Especially if that's happening on a consistent basis. Or, or think about the way that money changes once you get married. You can't just go out and buy a new motorcycle and come home and think that everything's going to go over well with the wife. I, I use that example because I have a friend who did that a couple of years ago, and I'm telling you, it did not go over well with the wife. As believers, we're no longer single. We are married to Christ, and we are united to one another, to the bride of Christ, as a spiritual family. And that changes things for us. 
We have to learn to grow and adjust as we can consider more than just our own needs and wants. Just like in a marriage where your spouse becomes the priority. Or in parenthood, where we begin to think more for the needs of our kids than the needs of ourselves. We, we need to consider our spiritual family when it comes to the decisions we make, the way that we spend our time and energy. And yet, how often do we come into the church with this individualistic mindset? Think about what's best for me or what works for my schedule. And that's not the purpose for which Christ created gospel community. The primary purpose for which Christ created community is not so that our needs are met. It's ultimately so that Christ will be glorified. And I think we'll see that this morning as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2. It's not that we, we aren't ever blessed by the community of believers around us. It's not that we can never ask for help. It's not that aren't, we don't have needs. We, we should ask, we should have our needs met within the church, but ultimately we experience true gospel community when the focus is not on ourselves, but on the exaltation of Christ and the spurring on of each other. And so it's my hope this morning as, that as we spend time together thinking through and working through a biblical view of community, that we would begin to think less in terms of I and me and more in terms of us and we, much like we do with family. And so I want you to, if you haven't turned there already, look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be, uh, we're not going to have uh, any slides today, and I'm going to be jumping into different sections of 1 Peter a lot. So I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible open, please open your Bible and, and read along with me. So 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 1 through 12. Peter says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God 
on the day of visitation. This is God's word, and now let's pray for his help as we seek to apply it to our lives. Father, you are excellent. You are wonderful, and you are worthy that we proclaim that excellency to those around us, that we proclaim your excellency on Sunday mornings from the pulpit as we preach your word, that we proclaim your excellencies at work, that we proclaim your excellencies with one another as we go out into the community, with family, with friends, with neighbors. You are worthy. Father, we pray that you would help us to be unified around the common mission that you have for your church, that we glorify you as we seek to proclaim your gospel, as we seek to make disciples, as we seek to to treasure you above and beyond all else in our lives. And yet, Father, there are so many things in this world that pull our attention, pull our affections, and they're worthless compared to your majesty Father, teach us what it means to to enjoy, to find our rest and satisfaction and joy in you in in the midst of this dark world. Father, help us to to be united as a family, as a gospel community. Help us to see that, that ultimately it is not about ourselves, but it is about your glory. Father, there's so much in our lives that, that seeks to, to pull us away. Our own sinful desires, our, uh, the, the, the things around us. Father, help us, grow us, and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as, as we read through the, the passage, there's a lot going on in the passage. There's so many things. Peter talks about the spiritual milk, longing for spiritual milk. We're being built up as stones into a spiritual house, the priesthood of believers. There's a lot to work through. But what I want to do primarily this morning is, is look at what the passage reveals to us about the purpose of gospel community. And so we might spend uh, less time on certain sections in order to look more closely at the topic of community. But I don't want to remove the passage from its context. And so I think it's necessary just to get an overview of the flow of the passage here and look at kind of what is, what is Peter's main thoughts as he um, works and writes through these verses. And so there's two verses in this passage, passage that I think everything else centers on. They, everything else revolves around these two verses. And, and the first one is verse 5, where it says, You yourselves... Like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so that's the first one. And the the second one is very similar, and it's verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so in both verses, what Peter is doing is he's describing the church in two ways. He's describing this gospel community in two ways. He's describing who they are, and then two, he's describing what they are to do, their purpose. I I want you to see this. So verse five, we are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And so who are we? We're a holy priesthood. 
And then in verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is who we are. This is what Christ has made us to be. Okay, and so that's the, first, that's the first thing that he does. And then the second thing is what's the purpose? Verse 5 begins to, to explain the purpose, and then verse 9 kind of expands upon that. And so in verse 5, it states that we exist to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And verse 9, like I said, it expounds upon that. And it describes that those spiritual sacrifices are that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so, in summary, we've, we've, we've been made into this royal priesthood, this priesthood of believers, so that the excellencies of Christ might be proclaimed. This is the purpose of true gospel community. This is our purpose as a church, so that Christ is exalted through the community of believers. Now, I want to spend a bulk of our time this morning unpacking the implications of that. But before we do that, I, I, want, to, I want to mention a few more things. And so if we go back to verses 1 through 3, Peter tells us this. He says, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that, my, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, there's, there's some really interesting stuff going on in these verses, but this is, uh, this is something that we're going to be getting into in a couple of weeks, and so I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but ultimately what Peter is referring to here is that God's people should crave God's word like infants crave milk. Now, we're not, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want you to see, before we move on into uh, later sections of the passage, I want you to see a major implication of this for our lives. So Peter, he's about to dive into the purpose of community, and, he's, and, he, and he starts that, uh, getting really detailed about it in verse 4, and yet he begins here in verses 1 through 3 with a call for Christians to desire God's word. And what's significant about this is that if God's people are ever going to live in true gospel community with one another, that community must be grounded on the word of God. He says, he says to, uh, to long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up. And like I said, we're, 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 we're going to be devoting more time to that in about three weeks uh, when we talk about how God's word propels God's people forward in discipleship. But I want to reiterate what Pastor Luke said last week. Christ hasn't made us into a community just for the sake of being a community. Anyone can be a community. Sports fans, music fans, outdoorsy people. What makes gospel community different is that it's grounded in the word of God. And this is why we make the preaching of the word on Sunday so central to everything else that we do here at Woodridge. Where God's word isn't being preached, God's people aren't growing. 
And this is why Peter grounds us before he, before he gets into talking about the purpose of community in verses 4 through 12. And so I don't want to spend any more time there because that sermon's coming in a couple weeks. Instead, I want to begin to look at who we are as a community and what we are called to do. And so the first question, who are we? And as you read through this passage, the predominant language used to describe the community of believers is a spiritual house and a priesthood. So Peter begins by using the language of stones, being built into a spiritual house that lives as a royal priesthood to one another and to the world. And so looking at verse 4, it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And, and, and as we read that, if you remember the, the passage that we looked at last week in Ephesians chapter 2, you might notice that there's a lot of similarities in the language in Ephesians 2 and 1 Peter 2. And I'm not going to read the whole passage from last week, but just the last couple of verses in, of Ephesians 2, uh, which we went through last week, is, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." And so the language in both passages lays before us this concept of God's people as the new temple. There's a law in Scripture that describes this, uh, but in the Old Testament we find that God dwelt among his people in the temple. People had to come to the temple to worship God because that's where his presence resided. But under the new covenant, because of Christ, we find that God is building a new temple on the foundation of of Christ and his work on the cross. And it's a temple built with living stones. It's a spiritual house. And this is the work that Christ has accomplished and continues to accomplish as he draws more people into the household of God. And so what this means for us is that this building that we're in is not the church. We are the church. We are the temple of God. I have a few friends who would say that they're Christians because they go to church, because they enter the building on Sunday. They think the act of entering the church building is enough to satisfy their soul, to pay their dues, to get them to God, and it makes them a part of the church in their mindset. They would say that they go to church so that they can meet with God, much like the Israelites did in the Old Testament. But they reject the need to trust in Christ for salvation. They think the act of entering the building 
is enough for them. And there may, there may even be some of you in here this morning who think this way. But what 1 Peter 2 shows us is that the building is not where God dwells. He dwells in his people. And so if you reject the cornerstone who's founding this spiritual house of people into this community, if you reject Christ, you reject everything. Because Christ is the cornerstone. And, and Peter wants his readers to see this. And so if you have your Bibles open, you may notice that 1 Peter 2 verses 6 through 8 looks a little different in format. It's not in that neat uh, paragraph form like the rest of the passage. And, and the reason for this is because Peter is going off and he's quoting various passages of Scripture from the Old Testament in quick succession to, to reiterate his point. And, and his reason for doing this is to show that God's plan has always been for God to dwell within his people and among his people. Not in a physical building, but that his spirit might reside in us. And he does that through the cornerstone, which is Christ. But he says that many are going to reject the cornerstone. To them, Christ will become a stumbling block and a rock of offense. And so... If you're unwilling to acknowledge Christ as the cornerstone of salvation, as the one in whom we trust for salvation, if you're unwilling to rest in the fact that Christ has built uh, a spiritual house through his death on the cross and that you can only enter that house through repentance and faith, you're never going to be able to experience a relationship with God. No matter how many times you come into the church building, if you're not trusting in Christ, if you're not coming to the cornerstone of salvation, you cannot experience that. And guys, as we think about this, this is our purpose as a church. This is where Peter is heading in the passage. As living stones being built up into a spiritual house, as the people in whom God dwells, we have been given the task of proclaiming this truth, the truth of the gospel to the world around us. We've been built on the foundation of Christ and now have the task of proclaiming Christ to those around us. Christ is the cornerstone. And this leads us into where, where Peter is heading in verses 9 through 12. And so I want you to read that again with me uh, quickly. Verse 9, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, before we look at our role in proclaiming the excellencies of Christ to the world, I want to I take a minute to talk about priesthood, because this is the second time it comes up in the passage. In verse 5, we're called a priesthood, and then here Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And now, a lot of times we might overlook the significance of this 
Uh, but because Peter is describing God's people as uh, being built into a temple, this is significant. And, 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 and it shows us that Peter's making some connections here uh, in, in the passage. And so what does it mean? I want to talk about that. What does it mean that we are a priesthood? Now, there's entire books devoted to this. And so I'm giving you a very surface level view of this. But in order for the sake of time, I just want to draw on Martin Luther's teaching on the doctrine of, pre, of the priesthood of believers. A few months ago in my seminary class, I had to read this article summarizing his understanding of the priesthood of believers. And, and he spent, Luther spent a massive amount of time thinking through and teaching on this topic as, as he was fighting against some of the, the way in which the um, Catholic Church understood this. And, and, and he wrote a lot about it. Um, and, and many scholars would even say that this is one of his most significant contributions uh, to the Protestant Reformation. Um, and so I just want to read certain parts uh, and work through a couple of paragraphs in that article. I might, I'm going to summarize some parts for the sake of time and read other parts. Uh, but I think it'll be helpful because Luther, he used 1 Peter as one of his primary passages in describing the priesthood of believers. And so in the article, it says, For Luther... The priesthood of all believers was derived from their union with Christ, the great high priest. The church is founded on Christ's priesthood. Its inner structure is the priesthood of Christians for each other. The priesthood of Christians flows from the priesthood of Christ. And so because of our union with Christ, Luther says we're priests as Christ is the priest. We're sons as Christ is the son. We're kings as he is the king. And, and he goes on to say, like Christ, Christians were to intercede for one another, teach the word to one another, bear one another's burdens. And later on in his writings, Luther listed uh, seven functions of Christians as priests. And one thing that we do as priests is the first thing, to teach, preach, and proclaim the word of God to one another and to, to the world. Two, the second thing he said, as Christian priests, as priesthood, we baptize. And this is, this is really interesting that in some way we all play a part when a believer is baptized. It's not just the elders up on stage baptizing a believer, but, but that in some way we play a part as a, as a community of believers. And, and I'm not going to expound upon that. We're going to be getting into that in a couple weeks. And so... Um, We'll spend more time talking and thinking through baptism, and so I'll leave that for then. But the second way is baptism. The third, and very similar to baptism, is the Lord's Supper. As we participate in the Lord's Supper, we're doing that in community. There's something going on in the midst of that, and we'll get into that again in, uh, in a couple weeks, and so um, I won't say more on that. Number four, church discipline. Number five, to pray for others. Number six, to sacrifice for one another. And seven, to discern sound doctrine. All these things were to be done for one another within the body of Christ. All believers play a part and a role in these things with one another. And the article, it continues by stating that Luther's doctrine was community-centered, with each believer serving as a priest to other believers, helping them draw near to God, and maintain the faith throughout life. 
And so the individualistic mindset, which is how we can often view the Christian life here in this society, we think that all that matters is my personal walk with Christ, and we neglect the community of believers. That mindset misses the entire direction of Luther's thinking. The priest, Luther said, faces toward his neighbor. He faces toward his neighbor and he serves him in the things of God. And so it is a privilege that we have a free and personal access to God through Jesus Christ. So yes, I'm not denying the fact that we have, as believers, a personal relationship with Christ. But it must, of course, be interpreted by Luther's repeated insistence that to be a priest is to be a priest for others. So I'll I'll stop there in the article, but do you hear what Luther was teaching during the Reformation? I just want to sum it up real quick. As priests, all believers have direct access to God. Christ has completed the work by which we are able to have relationship with God. Christ is the cornerstone. Christ is the capital M mediator between us and God. And so in that sense, yes, our relationship with Christ is very personal. I'm not denying that. With Christ, we have, because of Christ, we have a personal relationship with God. But we often stop there. And we shouldn't, because although our walk with Christ is personal, as a priesthood, we play a significant role in one another's lives as lowercase m mediators. As we teach, preach, proclaim God's word to one another, as we hold one another accountable, as we rebuke sin, as we practice baptism, the Lord's Supper, church discipline, as as we bear one another's burdens, we function as a royal and holy priesthood to one another. This is what you have been called to as a believer. In the community group that I'm a part of, we've talked about often what this looks like. It means that we don't just get together to have all of our needs met. I say this, I've said this multiple times to our group. You're not here just to be discipled. You're here also to disciple each other. We get together to be discipled, but we also disciple others. When a brother or sister sins, we hold them accountable. When they're struggling, we encourage them and point them to Christ. When, when they have a need, we seek to meet that need. Ultimately, as Luther taught, we play a role in helping each other draw near to God and maintain the faith. And we can't do that in isolation from one another. You just can't. You can't do it by yourself. You have to be in community. And as we do this together, not only should we be helping one another to draw near to God— but we're also to be proclaiming his excellencies to the world around us. Our love for one another, as we are built up into a spiritual house, Christ is doing this in us so that we might proclaim the gospel to those around us. So I want you to listen to this. Our growth together is essential to the advancement of the gospel. One of the reasons that so many believers are unengaged in the mission of the church to to proclaim his glory, to proclaim the gospel to those around them is because they're unengaged in the community of God's people. 
So one of the reasons many believers are unengaged in the mission of the church is because they are unengaged in the community of God's people. But as we come together to spur one another on in the faith, it propels us out into the world around us. And this is one of the reasons we stress things like community groups at this church so much. We want to be out there. For sure, we want to be gathering here to sit under the teaching of the word, but that propels us. Pastor Luke uses the terminology, it should reverberate out into our lives throughout the week. And so we are the church. We are, temp- are the temples of God's spirits, and we're called to live in the midst of the darkness to proclaim the light of Christ. I want to reread 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you notice that Peter, he expects the church to be out among the Gentiles, out among the unbelievers. First Peter is filled with this terminology of us as strangers, as exiles. It's, it's actually ad, uh, addressed to strangers and exiles. And, and we live in a world that, that is not our home, and yet we're called to be out in the midst of that for the sake of proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. We have been set apart to serve God as priests in order to make much of God in this world through Jesus Christ. As a priesthood with direct access to God, we may now enter God's presence through the work of the Son. And as a priesthood who live in, as lowercase mediators in this world, we're called to display what it's like, what life is like in the kingdom of God as we live in the midst of a fallen world. And so every aspect of how we live and what we say is to serve God and display his goodness, his glory, in order to make much of him, both within the church, in the midst of community, and then outside in the world. This is the purpose of the church, to glorify God. This is why we emphasize the glory of God so much here at this church. This is why our mission statement begins with the glory of God. Everything we do is for the purpose of proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. And so my question for you this morning as we finish up is where is your heart at? Do you still struggle with the individualistic mindset? Is it still hard for you to think in terms of we and us rather than I and me? Is it hard for you to make sacrifices in order to to love and serve one another and point one another to Christ? Maybe you've been hurt by the church in the past, or, or, or maybe you've been wronged. But, but if that's something that's holding you back from being all in with God's people, I would just remind you, we're a family. And when you're hurt in the midst of your family, you don't just, if you're in Christ as, as, as believers, you don't, just, you don't just back away. 
You, you go to one another and you resolve it. If you're in Christ, he's created this new community so that his excellencies might be proclaimed. Just like when a family member sins against you, you don't just stop uh, up and leave. Instead, you're called to walk with the church and work through things together. I love the church. I love this church. And I know it's messy at times. I've sinned against people. I will sin against people. People have sinned against me. Things don't always go the way that I want. But, but I want more than anything else for Christ to be magnified. And I can't do that apart from your, this community of believers. And you can't do that without one another. And so next week, we're, we're going to look even more deeply at what day-to-day life looks like within community. And I just want to encourage you, as, as, as we prepare for next week and, and thinking through that, as we, as we allow God's Word over the past two weeks, as we've been talking about community, to shape our minds and hearts, to just search your heart. And, and, and I just want to encourage you um, uh, to, to do that and, and ask God for wisdom and how he might— Seek to grow you as someone who loves God's God's people well and seeks to point them to Christ. How might God be seeking to produce in you a boldness for the gospel to go forth in the darkness around you? How, how, How might he be encouraging you to proclaim that gospel at work or at school or among neighbors and relatives? How might he be encouraging you to come alongside another brother or sister who's struggling and point them to Christ in the midst of what what may seem to them like hopelessness. We have a wonderful mission as a church. And and even more, we have a solid foundation, a solid cornerstone, Christ, upon which God is seeking to build this community of believers into a temple that proclaims his excellencies to the world and to one another. And so let's, let, let us close and just ask God for help as we seek to grow and do this together as a church. Father, we are such needy people. And we thank you that you have not saved us into an individual, isolated Christianity, but that you have saved us into a community that can help us and, and spur us on and, and point us to Christ when, when our eyes wander, when we wander away, when we're led astray by the things of this world, when the flesh within us rises up. Father, we praise you that you have saved us into a community that can help us in those times. Father, as we think about that, what it means, what our purpose is, give us boldness to proclaim your excellency. You are excellent. Give us boldness, Father. Do not let the fear of man overwhelm us to the point where we shrink back. This world desperately needs you. They desperately need to see the light of Christ, the glo- your glory in the face of Christ. Father, as we come together as a community, may it propel us outwards into this world. As we come together as a community, may, may the excellencies of Christ that are proclaimed on Sunday in our community groups, in whatever Bible studies or anything else that's going on in this church, may it propel us, may it encourage us towards deeper levels of intimacy with you. Father, if there's anybody in here this morning who's got a, a struggle against another brother or sister, Father, convict our hearts. Help us to to learn to love each other well, to go to one another, to seek to to, um, 
not build up the walls of hostility that Christ has broken down and killed and demolished through the gospel, through his work on the cross. But let us come to one another willingly and and gladly for, for our joy and for your glory. Father, we need your help in these things, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.